guys, we got to jump into it. And I would just like to ask you guys, how many of you have heard of the term adulting? Have some of you heard of this term, adulting? Okay, for those of you who have never heard of this term are wondering, what is adulting? What does that mean? Well, the Urban Dictionary, uh, one of the definitions says, to do grown-up things and hold responsibilities, such as a 9-to-5 job, a mortgage and rent, a car payment, or anything else that makes one think of grown-ups. Okay, that sounds okay. Um, This is how it would be used in a sentence. One example. So, used in a sentence, Jane is adulting quite well today as she is on time for work promptly at 8 a.m. and appears well-groomed. Um, okay, so isn't that what you're supposed to do? Show up for ta- on time and look uh, presentable, right? But it gets worse. There's another definition that I found that says this. Um, being a responsible adult used by immature 20-somethings who are proud of themselves for paying a bill. You know, once again, the, uh, this being used in a sentence, this is what it would look like. I'm so tired from adulting. I went to my eight to five job today. Look at me. And that's when you would take a selfie and post it and say, celebrate me because I'm adulting so well. I did what I was supposed to do. Um, yeah, you did what you were supposed to do. Right? And, and you know, this, this term is actually quite offensive on one hand and quite, kind of like, Really? Like, this is sad, you know, that we have a term even like this. Um, sometimes in youth group, when I, when I chat with my students, and I, when we've talked about maturing or growing up, I've said to them, you know what, um, yes, 18 is a big age, and it's exciting, and we need to celebrate it because your life is worth celebrating. And I know that our society says that you are an adult when you turn 18. However, I just have to let you know that I probably will not view you as an adult until you start paying for your own rent, paying for your own food, your car insurance, your gas, your, all of this stuff. Once you are doing all of those things that adults are supposed to be doing, then I'll see you as an adult. And, I, and I'm not here to bash young people because actually I still feel in a lot of ways like I'm a young person. But it's just kind of one of those situations where I've actually had students who are like, I turn 18 in six months, I'm almost an adult. And it's like, wait, but you're still living at home, you're not paying your own rent, like, you know, and so it's like, actually, adulthood is shown when you are actually being responsible and mature, and not celebrating the fact that, woo, I showed up for work on time. No, that's what you're supposed to do, right? And so I'm not here to bash young people at all, but it is actually a sad situation that our culture is in because it's as if our society has extended these years of adolescence and made it okay to never mature. That's a really sad situation that our culture is in because that means that people sometimes are not actually um, stepping into responsibility of adulthood It means that they're usually dependent on other people, riding on the coattails of other people, or they become a victim of their own circumstances. And not only that, but it's also sad because we as a society, we miss out on the opportunities, the gifts, the expertise that they are supposed to bring into our culture. We miss out on that. This term adulting is actually really kind of sad and it's even more sad if it has to pertain to the church. It's more, so important that we grow up into maturity. So today I want to chat about what does it look like to actually be spiritually mature? 
What is spiritual maturity? So if you guys want to flip to Ephesians 4, that's where we're going to be today. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's written by Paul, uh, the apostle. And Paul wrote um, most of the New Testament. He was one of the greatest missionaries. He went on many missionary journeys at the beginning of the church after Jesus went up into the heaven. And he went telling everybody, it seemed, about Jesus. And he went to... He went on a couple different missionary journeys, and one on his second, he went to Ephesus, and he visited, and he saw the, saw the church, and it seems as though he left Priscilla and Aquila there to actually care for that church while he continued on to tell other people about Jesus. And then he goes back to Jerusalem, and then he goes out on his third missionary journey, and during that time, he actually spent three years in Ephesus, this city, and he spent time with this church, helping them grow and mature. When he left, he went back to Jerusalem where Jews got upset and actually um, handed him over to the Romans. And then he went to Rome where he was in prison and probably wrote this letter to this church in Ephesus. So Paul really cares about this church. He spent a lot of time there and he's writing them to encourage them. You know, other letters that Paul wrote, uh, it had a specific situation that he was probably writing to. You can see that in the writings. But Ephesians is pretty generic in its teaching. It's, it's open to everything, and it's kind of two different sections that cannot be separated because it starts with good theology about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So he starts with theology, but then he moves into practical teaching, practical living. How do we live this life out that Jesus has given us? So in, sometimes in life, we like to kind of think, oh, I believe the right thing, but now I can't, I'm saved by grace, and I can go live as I want. no. The New Testament actually says if you believe the right things, it should translate into living the right way. We can't separate the two. So Paul is reminding them and telling them, look, this is what Jesus has done. Now let's live in this way. And so we pick up this, um, our passage is kind of in the transition between right theology and right living. So chapter 4 verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have been called to, worthy of the calling that you have received. Paul Paul was in prison, we already said, and he mentions that he's in prison a couple times. And usually we kind of maybe look down on prisoners a little bit, like, oh, what did you do, right? But Paul here, he's in prison, and he actually, it seems as though he's using that as a term of authority to say, hey, as a prisoner for the Lord, This is what I'm ordering you to do. You know, it it sounds like in Acts, at the beginning of the church, when disciples were being beaten for their faith, for believing in Jesus, they rejoiced. And they said, whoa, blessed are we. We're counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. It's almost as if there's this authority and this blessing that comes from suffering or being in prison. And so Paul says, hey, as a prisoner for the Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some authority in this and call you, the church, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have been called to. It's almost as if he's looking back at the past three chapters, looking at what Jesus has done, what Darren talked about last week, about keeping the main thing the main thing. And who is the main thing? It's Jesus, right? The first three chapters, it's incredible what Paul describes as to what Jesus has done. 
It says that he has chosen us. He has predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters. He has forgiven us. He has redeemed us. He has marked us with the Holy Spirit. You know, it says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but because of God's great love for us, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. And he has seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ. And he has made us to be one body, not Jews, not Gentiles, but one church that is reconciled to each other because of Jesus. You know, he goes through all of this. This is what Jesus has done. And so he says, because of all of that, now I urge you to live a life worthy of what Jesus has done. Worthy of that calling to salvation, to redemption, to forgiveness, to being unified as a body. So, so what is this calling then? You know, that's what it's all about. And so in light of what, what Christ has done, we're now supposed to live it out. We're supposed to adult. We're supposed to mature into adulthood. We're, that's what we're supposed to do. And so, so what does that look like? You know, in, um, in this Christian life, um, we believe that God, that Jesus was God that he came to this earth, that he walked among us. And the reason he came was because we needed a savior. We could not pay our penalty for our sins. And that penalty is death. And so Jesus being fully God and fully man, he came down to earth and he walked among us, lived a sinless life, but died a sinner's death for us. He died a horrific death. But that's not where the story ends, right? We sang about it this morning that Jesus rose again from the grave and he conquered sin and death when he rose on the third day. And now he's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is given all authority. That's who our God is. And you know, for us, our work, we, are, we can never be good enough to get to heaven. That's why Jesus died. We could not be do enough to get to heaven. So Jesus came down, paid our penalty for us. That's what we believe. But Jesus says in the gospel of John that our work is to believe in the one who sent him. In Romans, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. We cannot be saved by our works. We are actually saved by Jesus, by declaring him as Lord and Savior. But he doesn't just save us to sit here and wait and be like, woohoo, I'm free from hell and I'm waiting for heaven and just waiting. No, God actually saved us for today. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. I've given you gifts. You have a purpose for today. You know, and that's maybe um, what he's calling us to. You know, Jesus, he also used this analogy of when we come to him and we pledge our allegiance to Christ, that transition, it's such a transformation, actually, such a drastic life change that he alludes to, um, alludes to it as being like rebirth, like you're being born again. When you declare Jesus as Lord, that's what it's like. It's such a massive change. And when the baby is born, you watch the baby to watch for proper uh, markers of growth, right? You watch to see if it's maturing correctly. Even in the womb, a baby is monitored quite significantly to make sure that it's growing correctly. And then when, it, when it's growing and it's age one, well, where's the, the baby supposed to be at now? And now it's a toddler. Where, it's, where is he supposed to be at now? You know, I have a nephew and... 
I, I think he's one of the cutest. I know everybody says they have the cutest. So I'll say I have one of the cutest nephews. Um, and we call him Hugsy because he gives great hugs. Um, but when he was nine days old, I got a call from my mom asking me to pray for this little guy because he was in the hospital down in Calgary, the children's hospital, in an induced coma due to a, a stroke and multiple seizures tons of them because of all of these blood clots that were going into his brain and throughout his brain. It was devastating. You know, um, the doctors said, the team of doctors said, there is brain damage done. And we don't know how much. We don't know the extent of it. But hopefully because he's so little, so young, maybe his brain will reroute and will, will actually heal. And so it was a waiting game. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we got everybody we knew to pray And we just kept waiting to see what markers of growth will be there. We wondered, would his eyes actually focus together? Would he crawl without a gimpy arm? Would he ever walk without a limp? Would he ever actually talk and verbalize what he's thinking? Will he be able to communicate with us? So we watched and we prayed. And I can declare now, four and a half years later, he is a walking, talking, running miracle of God. You know, so exciting. But my point is, we watch to make sure if there's proper growth. Are there markers of growth? Physically, we watch our kids to make sure that they are growing properly. What about spiritually, though? The analogy of being born again, well, we're not supposed to stay as infants, as babies. We're actually supposed to mature. So what are some of those markers of growth that show that we're maturing in Christ? You know, verse 2 and 3 kind of goes into some of those markers. And it says, be completely humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know, these are some of the markers of growth, of spiritual growth. They're hard sometimes. (laughs) Be completely humble and gentle. That's sometimes a little bit difficult, right? Keeping the unity through the bond of peace. You know, loving one another. But these aren't the only markers of growth. Yes, they have to do with how we treat each other. But then it also, he continues on and talks about how we function together. So in verse 7, he continues on with more spiritual markers. And he says, but to each one of us, every single one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You know, sometimes I think we can read into that and think, okay, salvation, that's what grace. But the same word is gift. He's given each one of us gifts. All of us have a gift. You know, he continues on, and in verse 11, he's, he um, lists a couple different roles of specific gifts that God has given the church, and they have to do more with leadership or with uh, the proclamation of the word. And in verse 11, it says, it was he who gave some, he being Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So he's given all of us gifts, and then he's given some people gifts for the proclamation of the word or the establishing of the saints so that everybody in the church can actually do their part so that they can serve, use their gift. Once again, Jesus has not just saved us from hell and we're waiting for heaven. No, he has a purpose for us right now. He he calls us to serve. We are saved to serve. We're not just saved to sit around and wait. We're saved to serve each other. That's why Jesus 
uh, what Jesus is calling us to so that we can all serve one another. And so he continues on and it says, so God has given everybody gifts. And then it says he's given some people specific roles in the church to prepare, verse 12, to prepare or equip God's people for works of service. So we are all called to be working together in these works of service. You know, earlier in chapter 2, it talks about how we were created to do good works that God has prepared beforehand. That's what we're created to do. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved to do our works, to do our part. They're markers of growth. Are we serving? Do we see spiritual growth in our lives by how we're serving the body? What does that look like? But maybe you've been like me (laughs) um, and have had a moment of member envy where you're like, oh man, I'm not like that person. So I must not have a part to play. You know, I have played a lot of sports and sometimes it's like, oh, I want to be this point guard, but well, or I want to be the post. You know, I'm way too short to be under the net, right? But sometimes we wish that we had somebody else's gift and we wish that we could do that. And then we feel bad about ourselves and the gifts that we've given. And we just feel like, I'll just go out and like warm the bench, okay? Uh, You guys play without me. No, no. God says that's not okay. Paul, in another letter, he actually says, he talks about um, the body of Christ. And there's lots of analogies in scripture. And one for the church is being a body, that there's many different parts, but one body in Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. And he actually says, um, or this is what he quotes, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I guess I don't belong to the body. Well, no, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. You know, sometimes we take ourselves out because we think, well, I'm not like that, so I've got nothing to offer. Or I can't be in leadership, and so I guess I'll just sit out. Paul is saying, hey, if that's your attitude, you don't just hinder yourself, you actually hinder the entire church, the entire body. I have a best friend, and we've been best friends since grade three, and we've gone through a lot together. And one of the things that we've had to journey through together um, started in high school. So we played sports together in elementary school and middle school and and getting into high school. And she was always kind of the, the basketball star in our class. But then all of a sudden, going into grade 10, we were like, huh, she's starting to slow down. This is weird. What's going on? And then in basketball practice, sometimes she'd just joke around and be like, oh, my dumb MS leg. Now, it was a joke until the end of grade 10 when she actually was diagnosed with MS. It rocked her world. It rocked all of us. This young, vibrant woman who all of a sudden was told that she had this debilitating diagnosis, right? It rocked her. See, on the outside, she actually looked normal. Her leg looked fine. Everything about her looked great. But her nervous system was shutting down and it was affecting her leg. And because her leg was not working properly, it actually affected her entire being. See, when we have that attitude of like, I've got nothing to offer, we take ourselves out and we affect the entire team, the entire body. And I don't want to be a lagging leg. I don't want to cause a limp because I'm not willing to do my part. And it's not just because I work at the church. Sometimes I think, what's it going to be like when I don't work at the church? Where am I going to serve? Because I still have that responsibility as a part of the body. 
See, all of us, every single one of us have a part to play. We've all been given gifts to serve the body. And, and I'm not saying this to force you or, or um, force you into service out of obligation, because if we're serving out of obligation, that's not a good thing. I'm not trying to heap condemnation or criticism or anything like that, but rather to hopefully excite us and energize us to say, hey, because of what Jesus has done in me, and he has brought me to the church, and he has unified me with all of you because of what he has done in my life, I get to serve. I get to be a part of the body. It's not an obligation. It's, a, it's an honor. It's an opportunity. Working with all of my youth leaders, I am incredibly honored and blessed by them, by what they pour out every single week. It's not out of obligation. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. But what's, what's the purpose of serving? So, so um, we, we recap, right? So, Paul talks about what Jesus has done and how we're called to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And then we talked about what are those proper markers of growth. Well, there's gentleness and that kind of stuff, uh, but also gifts that we are supposed to use to serve one another. But why do we need to serve one another? So if we read again in verse 12, so God has given all of these gifts and these roles to prepare God's people for works of service so that... So here comes the purpose. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The purpose that we are called to serve one another is so that the body of Christ, the church, may grow and be built up. Made mature. You know, the first thing that he says is built up. The body may be built up. And the the analogy that it's kind of referring to is bodybuilding. Now, if you're bodybuilding, it's not enough to just get a gym membership and be like, Woo! All right, I'm fit. I'm ripped, right? Like, uh, no, that's not okay. You actually need to go to the gym and start working out. But it's not enough to just go to the gym and work out and flail your arms and think, oh yeah, look at my bicep curls, woo. Um, actually, you gotta actually focus on the muscle that you're trying to hit, that you're trying to grow. And you gotta focus on that and, and engage that muscle because you can totally not do, you can totally do a, um, a movement and not even be working the muscle that you're aiming at. You know, it's not enough to just go to the gym. You gotta work out, you gotta engage the muscle. It's not enough to just come to church. You gotta engage the muscles. You gotta engage your spiritual muscles and how you do that is by serving, serving each other. So he talks about, so that we might be built up until what? Until unity, until unity in the faith. You know, Pastor Darren talked about that last week, right? How we are supposed to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that will keep us unified. The church is not supposed to be divided. Yes. Will there be disagreements? Of course, because none of us are perfect yet. In heaven one day, right? Um, but we, there will be disagreements. However, the one thing that we're not supposed to be disagreed on is what we believe. The main things of our theology, that Jesus is God, that he died, that he rose again, that he's victorious, that he's given us his Holy Spirit. You know, these things are supposed to unify us. They're not supposed to divide us. And if there is division, Maybe we should be searching the scriptures and being completely humble and gentle when we actually do have division, right? But the goal is to be mature, to be built up until we all are unified 
in faith. He continues on and he says, unified in the knowledge of the Son of God, that we would know Jesus collectively, all together, all of us knowing him. You know, in chapter three, Paul prays that, that, he, um, that the church would know how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And I think he prays that for the church because it's hard to know love as an individual if you're just isolated. But it's also really hard to love people when you're with people, right? And so he prays for them. And he prays that they would know the love of Jesus. And here again, he says that you would be unified in the knowledge of the Son of God, that you would experience who Jesus is as you interact together, as you're rubbing shoulders, as you're working together as the body of Christ, that you would be unified. But then he gets to the pinnacle of why we serve, and it's that we might mature. That we would mature, and it says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, sometimes I think because of our culture, we look at Christianity as if, as if it's an individual journey. That is just me, and I'm going. And in a sense, yes, because I'm the only one who can actually declare Jesus as Lord and Savior. Nobody else can do that for me. So there is an individual part. However, you are not saved to just do your journey by yourself. You're actually saved into the church, into a collective whole, to journey together. Right? So we are saved to become one body. We're saved to mature into that. You know, our, our North American culture is so individualistic, but the Bible's not. Paul says, hey, you're called to be one. One body so that you might mature. Serve one another so that the body can mature. So that we can come into corporate maturity, um, spiritual adulthood. And then it says... Um, Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know what? Every one of us are created in the image of God. However, no one person in this room reflects the full glory of God. It takes the collective, it takes all of us to reveal the fullness of who Jesus is to the world. That they would look and say, whoa, look at that. I want to be a part of that. And we can say, come on in. Everybody's welcome. This is who Jesus is, and this is what he did for you, and this is what he saved you from and saved you for. You know, all of us have been given gifts to serve the church so that the body might mature. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, and you're like, whoa, well, I'm pretty mature. I know Jesus pretty well. I've walked with him for a long time. Awesome! That's great. But remember, it's not just about an individual Remember, it's about the corporate body, and you are only as mature as the most immature part. That means that those of us who have walked with Jesus for a long time, it's our responsibility to pour into new believers, to train them up so that they might be mature. It's our responsibility to come alongside young people to help them mature and know the truth and walk with Jesus. You know, it's our responsibility. We need to help one another grow. That's why we're called to serve, so that all of us can become mature. Now, will we ever get there this side of eternity? No, (laughs) because there's always new believers who need to know, and there's always more kids coming up who need to know. So this job of maturity, it's an ongoing thing. It's not an individualistic thing. It's a corporate journey together to maturity. That's what we're called to. 
you know, um, he continues on and he gives another analogy to, to describe what it's like if we actually don't answer this call of Jesus to mature. So he says, then, um, like, if we do mature, attaining to the whole measure of Christ, then we will no longer be infants or children, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. You know, he uses this analogy of being tossed by the waves, and I used to think that it was about... um, like being in a storm, and if you talk to the Millers, it's insane what it's like to be in a storm, and it terrifies me. But they're awesome, and they know what to do. And that's, that's the thing. He's not actually talking about being in a storm. He's actually talking about if you're a newbie, and you're out on the seas, and you don't know how to harness the wind, the wind is just going to take you wherever it wants to go, not where you want to go. It's like being an immature child. We don't expect babies to actually change themselves and, and, and feed themselves and all of that stuff. No, we need to care for a baby until it reaches a point where it's like, oh, you can eat by yourself. You've got food all over your mouth, but some of it's getting in there, right? Um, and then eventually they start to change and, and, and they go to the washroom by themselves. You know, that kind of stuff. They start to mature. Well, he's saying, hey, If you're immature, if you're a child, you're just being blown everywhere. You know what? Our kids really need us. They need us to tell them what's truth. They need us to love them, to pour into them, to show them what Scripture says, that God is good, because there's so much false teaching out there saying that, is there even a God? If there is a God, is he good? Because how could he be good if he let this happen? Or if he created you like that, but you feel like this? You know, there's so much false teaching out there. That means that it's our responsibility to train them up, to teach them the scriptures, to teach them what, what good theology is and how to work that out and live that out. They need us. Not only that, though, some of the deceitful scheming that obviously comes from the enemy that I think was part of the um, happening in Ephesus, but also happening today. You know, Ephesus was one of the five largest cities at that time, up there with Rome. It had over 200,000 people. Um, It was a very wealthy city. It was a coastal port, so lots of trade, massive market. They were big into the arts. Their theater could seat 24,000 people. It had a huge library, so very educated as well. You know, this was a happening place. But the thing about places that have lots of affluence and lots of opportunity is usually that it's very, a very subtle distraction from keeping the main thing the main thing and from actually living out our salvation and actually serving one another. It's easy to say today, I'm too busy. I get it. We're all too busy. Maybe that's the ploy of the enemy to actually keep us from maturity when we're not serving in the church. You know what? And, and yes, we still need to be serving outside of the church, of course. We still need to be evangelizing. You know, the Great Commission, though, is not just about um, evangelism. Yes, it says, as you are going, you will make disciples. So as you go to the grocery store, as you're at the gym, as you're at your job, as you're at your school, you are supposed to be a light. You're supposed to be the salt of the world and that people will be attracted to you and ask, what's the difference in you? yes. We are supposed to evangelize, but the Great Commission continues on and says, teaching them and baptizing them. 
right? Baptizing them and then teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. There's a part of discipleship in the Great Commission as well. There's a part where we need to be serving one another so that we collectively can reach maturity together. He continues on to kind of wrap up and it says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, and from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The only way that the church can grow and mature is when every single person is doing their part. That's the only way that we can grow and mature. You know, this, we're coming into a new school year, and maybe that's not a new thing for some of you guys, but in youth ministry or if you have kids, it's like, okay, the new year is starting now. I want to call us to not just look at school or a new year. I want to I challenge us to think, what does God have in store for this year? How am I called to serve so that the body might mature a little bit more this year? What's your part? How about you? Where, where are your gifts? Where are you serving? And maybe some of you are serving. You know what? We just have to say thank you again for those of you who are serving. And I am not saying that um, our church is not mature. Actually, I think we are incredibly mature compared to most churches. We have more people serving in the church than way more than most churches. We have an incredible church. I love you guys. I know our pastor is so proud of each and every one of you. But I think there's always room to grow, right? Because there's always new people coming to know Jesus who need to know him, who need help growing in him. There are always new students who are coming up who need to be discipled and mentored to know what it looks like to walk with Jesus. So if you're serving, keep serving. Don't grow weary and well-doing. Keep serving. And one day Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? But maybe some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, Amy, I'm too broken what, I show up to something and I start crying? That's not okay. I can't serve. I'm too new to the faith. No, 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 no. You know what? I'm so proud of some of our students, well, all of our students, but uh, last, a week ago, we were at teen camp and one of our new grads, she just shared her testimony in front of 150 of her peers and she got up there and she said, I was in a car accident, I had PTSD, I was suicidal, I was cutting, I was depressed, I was anxious, all of these things. And she said, I came to youth group and I started to get to know Jesus, but I was still allowing my past to define me rather than Jesus define me. And then she shared with everybody, there was a night in November, last November, where God met her in a profound way and called her to a purpose. Not just missions, but she is called to the persecuted church. And she shared that in front of all of her peers. And she said, you know what? I still struggle sometimes with depression and anxiety, but it's almost as if when I started looking outward and started focusing on other people, God started healing inward. You know, sometimes our healing comes through serving. Getting outside of our own inward focused self. Sometimes we just need to get out and serve other people and God will meet us in that. Maybe you're too broken. Yes, maybe you need to go to celebrate recovery or grief share or something. Don't stay there too long, though. You have a part to play, too. And sometimes it's through service that God will heal you. 
Maybe some of you don't know where to start. That's why we have the Get Plugged In booklet. Pick it up. Start praying over it and asking, God, where do you want me this year? What do you have in store for this year? Maybe it's ushering or greeting once a month. Maybe it's making coffee. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're like, I, I can't leave my kids. Totally fair. But can you pray? Because I'll give you a bunch of students' names to pray for. You know? I th- we all have a part to play so that we can become mature. Maybe you can walk with a new, new uh, believer in discipleship. Maybe you need to help mend those broken hearts in celebrate recovery or divorce care. Maybe you can teach Sunday school to our young kids. Maybe be a youth leader. We have a ton of fun, but uh, we go deep too. Maybe you have a gift in music. Talk to Pastor Mark and get serving. Lead us into the presence of God on a Sunday morning. You know, maybe you're really hospitable and cookie. Cooking is your thing. Talk to Sabine or make a meal for my youth leaders every couple months. You know, like, um, (laughs) that would be awesome but that's the thing it's as every part does its work the body matures we all have a part to play nobody's more important nobody's less important every single part is important and just a quick thing maybe you're young maybe you're like i'm too i'm too young to serve (laughs) that's that's a lie you are never too young And actually, you grow more when you start serving. I was in grade 10, and I started teaching Sunday school every single Sunday to a bunch of grade 5 crazies. But they were awesome. I love them, you know? You're never too young. That's when God teaches us to rely on him, to search the scripture. And if I can just share my bias really quick, which I know you guys all know anyways, but I'm going to say it all anyways. Um, You know, equal to Sunday morning service, I think some of the... One of the main ministries, most important ministries, has to do with the next generation. With our kids and with our youth. They're here. If we're not training them, we'll lose them. How can you get involved? You know, and I get so excited about our kids falling in love with Jesus and then maturing and finding their place in the church where they can serve and they, they have a part to play. They have a purpose here. And then they, in turn, turn around and serve those who are younger than them, or their peers in school. I get so excited about what God wants to do in our church. So if I could have the um, Pastor Mark come up, and he's going to just play some music. But can you imagine with me, guys, for a second, what it would look like if every person did their part this year? What would that look like in our church? I actually think that our kids would fall deeply in love with Jesus. I actually think that our kids would start bringing their friends to know Jesus. I think that we would start to see families come to know Jesus because we're pouring into one another and we're serving and we'll see our our numbers grow here because people will say, I want to be a part of that. Look at how they love each other. Look at how they serve each other. They're unified. There's a purpose. I think that we would grow. I think that it would be exciting. I think that we would get excited because we have a part to play. We get refreshed in our faith and excited about the journey that God has for us. So if everybody could stand this morning, we're going to close the, close the service. And I just want to pray for you. But maybe you guys are like, if, if there's anybody actually who is feeling like, I don't know where to serve, but I know I need to serve. If you could take one, um, like, kind of scary leap, maybe, and put up your hand. If you're like, I need to serve, but I don't know where to serve, because I want to pray for you. Anybody out there? 
Awesome. There's some hands. Sweet. We are going to pray for you guys that God would show you where you need to be serving. But for the rest of us, I really want to pray that we would go deep this year, that we would fall in love with Jesus and that we would mature as we serve one another. Amen. All right. Let me just pray. Jesus, we just thank you. God, you're such a good God. You don't just save us from hell for heaven, but you actually have a purpose for us here on earth. And part of that purpose is to serve one another, which is not easy. So God, I pray that this year would be a new year where we serve selflessly in humility and gentleness, in love. God, that we would prefer one another and God, that we would see our body mature. God, we pray for our young people that you would, uh, yeah, that you would do a work in them that you would protect them and guide them as they go into their school year here shortly. Father, bless them, I pray. And Jesus, for those of us who don't know where to serve, but we know we need to serve, God, may you highlight a place for them to serve. May you highlight where you want them to be. And Jesus, we just pray that none of this is out of condemnation or shame or guilt or obligation, but Lord, that we would do it because we're so, so overwhelmed by your grace and your love for us. So God, we ask that you would help us this year to mature for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go in peace and it's gonna be a good year.